Welcome to Dan's Den Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. This episode, I'm sitting in with my Aunt Robin, and this is part two of a conversation. Check out our first episode if you missed that one. We jump right in, just talking about some mental health issues. We share a little bit about our experiences working through some of this stuff. My Aunt Robin opens up about some of her experiences in therapy and kind of just explains how this is an ongoing process. Robin and I chat a little bit about some of our experiences dealing with grief. For those of you who don't know, in February 2020, my sister Amy passed away. So that's something that we chat a little bit about today and help gather some of our thoughts in the sense of how we felt at the time and how we've been working through some of this stuff. Some of you can relate to this and we're all going through some struggles out here. So just talking about it and and trying to get these connections is the best way through that. And talking about this with all of you today is just another way to honor her memory and let her live on in our hearts and our minds. Hopefully some of this will bring you guys some smiles. And again, we're just sharing our own views here. This is not recommendations for people or telling you what you should or shouldn't do. But hopefully sharing some of this resonates with some of you and just lets us know that we're not alone out here. We're all trying to work on some of this stuff together. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy. And please don't forget to follow on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on. Help us share these episodes. It was a couple of weeks ago you are talking about like some of your experiences in therapy and I'm interested in generally like first like how long have you been like actively doing that now and then second part is did you find like, was there a lot of apprehension finally make that step so i've been in and out of therapy my whole life I, I go through stages and then i'm like i need it and then i'm like i feel okay and then I'm, i need it so to me this is nothing yeah. some a lot of people will be like i don't know if i'm gonna like my therapist i don't you know i'm worried about the relationship i go but you know people are concerned about Am I going to have a good relationship? Are they going to understand me? Am I going to feel safe? And I'm like, this is what my issue is. This is what I need to do. Let's go. I don't care who you are. As long as you have a degree and know what you're doing, like that's the point I'm at now. And so um, this therapy that I'm doing now is called EMDR. It's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. (laughs) So basically it's the theory behind it is when you sleep, and you have REM sleep, your eyes moving back and forth, that's when you you process through the day or you process through whatever it is that's going on. So That's related to like our dream state a mm-hmm. lot, right? Yeah. So the the theory is basically that's the whatever it is with the eyes is part of the processing process. And so doing that as you're working through traumatic memories and things like that helps you to, you know, if you have trauma in your life, which pretty much everybody does, Sometimes you have blocks. There could be parts of your memory you don't remember. There could be just things that you can't bring yourself. You you did what you had to do to put that in a little box, and now you can't access it. And this type of stuff can help you to access all of those things that you have kind of pushed away or hidden away. And it also helps you to just, like for instance with me, I've always had an eating disorder since I was, I would say, probably like 14 and I've been in and out of therapy for that and treated the symptoms of the actual, because I had, I was bulimic for, I don't know, until I was probably early thirties actively. Wow. Yeah. And I went into therapy and I did a lot of work and I did really well, um, talking about stuff, but there's, there's only this level that you can get to all of that traumatic stuff that's underneath that's buried deep that's hidden behind and like in in EMDR they tell you that 
you're not a whole person and it's not like a dissociative identity person. It's not, I have multiple personalities, but there are pieces of me that stand for different things inside of me. So there's that scared little child. Maybe there's that angry teenager that wants to lash out at the world. Maybe there's that, um, mid twenties or whatever, who's just starting to stand on her own is the one that kind of keeps me in doing my work and, and, you know, like that. And so basically what it is, is we all have all those pieces, but healthier people, it's all one. And when you're, when you experience trauma, those pieces kind of break apart inside of you. And so we can be standing there having a conversation. We could say we, we had a a death in the family not too long ago. Uh, Me and you both really didn't, at least at that initial time, didn't really cry. I don't know what your situation was, but I've worked through some of that. And it's, there's that piece of me back there. That's not coming out. That's a weak part. We don't, we don't, we don't, that person needs to be back there. So that. You're talking about the person that, that would probably cry in that situation. Yes. Because that's weak. That's what I learned growing up is that crying and like, that's weak. So that weak person needs to go away kind of thing. And in therapy, working through like old memories and things like that, you start to realize like, no, that's, that's not true, but that's what you've believed your whole life. And so you've got to the point where that's a part of you, but that part of you goes way to the back of the line and you don't, and the person who maybe, you know, the person who is like, nope, nobody's ever going to hurt me. Nobody's ever going to like, no one's going to fuck with me. Nothing. That's the person that, comes to the front and I always say like oh I'm a robot but it really is that shifting of I guess personas maybe to try to you have like as a child if there's things that happen you don't have the skills to cope and so you figure something out and whatever you figure out maybe it works at the time but then as a, a you know a functioning adult in society it's not it's not functional, but that's all you know how to do. So that's basically, this is kind of teaching me about all those pieces and why those pieces were created and how, I mean, she's had me sit down at a table with different versions of myself and have conversations. Like it gets to that point. Yeah. And she's had me comfort the little me who was afraid or, you know what I mean? And it it sounds stupid, but when you're in the, when you're in the therapy and you're going back to that kid who just wanted somebody to say, you're fine the way you are. And nobody ever did for you as an adult to go in and be like, you're okay, how you are. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's crazy how your mind works and how. It's intense. Um, Up until you started doing the EMDR, Oh, is it mostly talk therapy and counseling? Because I was going to ask about, there's uh, probably a hundred different approaches. Each therapist probably uses their own bag of, of different techniques. I, I was reading, or I should say listening to an audio book about um, some of these concepts. EMDR came up. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's amazing. It covers all of this stuff and more in like, detail. But I was listening to therapist counselor that wrote the book and, and some of their experiences with like these, these clinical scenarios and some of the recounts of seeing these patients go through this EMDR. And it, it's just amazing that something like rapid eye movements in, in like a conscious state can bring you to that same kind of thing and access certain memories or images that are seemingly blocked out or, or unaccessible. 
you know, so I didn't really get to see if there was like a certain pattern or it was just a lot of like following a finger back and forth or something. But the, the author was talking about a patient would either suddenly start crying or something and then he'd have to probe about, well, what are you feeling right now? And they'd recount a scenario. And ultimately, it seems like the goal is to try to not only like extract that memory, but then to feel it, to feel it and then be able to incorporate it into a story or a, or a timeline in a in a healthy way so at first accessing it and, and feeling all those emotions again is going to be weird at first because like we've been working our whole lives to suppress this right. consciously and carefully incorporate it into your story now so that it's not this this piece that's floating around unaccounted for it's something that you know you acknowledge and accept but also can say like this isn't running the show anymore or yes. it's not necessarily the the little grenade that's ready to go off it's it's very interesting thinking that 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 can be done that relatively quickly when we started off it was like we'd go back to traumatic memories and it would always be like how do you, where do you feel that in your body that's a big piece of it which is why you know talking about we've talked about like me having a lot of autoimmune diseases and thinking that there's some similarities or some relation between not feeling your emotions or you know suppressing them and maybe having physical issues the biggest thing is like where do you feel that what does that feel like and so then it's like let's go to this memory feel that feeling and when you do that you start to go off like this you're going left right up down it's not it's not linear and at first I'd say, I don't think I'm doing it right. And she said, no, what you have to understand is your mind is processing. So all these situations that felt the same to you, that's where your connection is. It's not mm. every time somebody said this, it's not. It's when you had that specific feeling that you're focused on. It could be your father said something to you, or it could be when you graduated high school, or it could be, you know, it could be things that are so varied that you'd say I don't understand how they connect but they do connect by that how they made you feel basically and so um that took a little bit of getting used to but you start to understand and say like so there's these negative self-beliefs like it might be I'm not safe or I'm not good enough that's way base that's not in the front of your mind but that feeling mm. connects to that I'm not safe or I'm not good enough and so it's like digging, that's all I can think of is like digging down, 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 down to get that I'm not safe. And then how does that apply in all of these situations? And to be able to say to yourself like, but I am safe now, is huge. that's like a huge part of teaching yourself all of those things that you tell yourself all the time. It's not true anymore. You know, mm -hmm. it was true at the time because it needed to be, but it's not anymore. And teaching yourself you don't have to do this to keep yourself safe because you're you're a grown-up and you are safe you know what i mean yeah. things like that yeah and it's it's it comes back to like you said we've we've built all of our other kind of interactions with the world and ourselves upon these things that were just created out of desperation or, or fear or exactly safety because at that point man like our, our brains are still like not even close to being developed and that the, the, these seemingly minor things to an adult looking down to that kid like that that's the the biggest thing in the world and then one little look or, or word sets you off on this different path and then oh man it, it's it's crazy like listening to the book because there's so many similarities that 
each one of us can pick something out like, oh, like I've experienced that hearing it put in a, a different patient's perspective. It's, it's almost not only easier to, to listen to and associate with, but then it's just, oh shit, like this is all of us in one way or another. So, you know, collectively we're like, all right, we're not alone. But then also just like you said, like the talk therapy isn't necessarily going to, that's not going to be the only thing to, to dig it out. You can finally identify a certain part of you or like the, these different personality traits or characteristics that maybe you want to start working on, but then it's not understanding the, the deeper root of this isn't even in my conscious control. Like th- these, aren't, these aren't things that I'm choosing to do. And in my situation, it's eating. Like I had, you know, an eating disorder. And so weight wise, I was fairly stable because I was throwing up half my food. But as I got older and I worked in therapy to not be actively bulimic, I didn't change any of my mental I don't want to say thoughts, but I didn't change my mentality around food or any of that stuff. So then it starts with the big weight swings and it's gain a hundred, lose a hundred, gain a hundred, lose a hundred, which is horrible for your body. And I would be like, I don't understand what, what it is, but like with doing this therapy, it's a way to dissociate and you don't think about that. But it's like, when I don't want to feel something or I don't want to think of something, I can focus and be like, "Hmm, what am I going to eat? I'm hungry. I'm thinking you're not necessarily hungry. But you spend this, say, 20 minutes fixating on what am I going to eat? What do I have in the fridge? And you're taking your mind and you're sticking it here and it's taking you away from all of that. And I never thought of. And so it's a a way to dissociate. And so then how do you fix that if you don't know that? And especially towards a behavior that is built into every organism, food. You know, it's not even like a, a unique thing that humans do. So like to go back to that, that's obviously buried in our DNA since before there were even mammals, you know, it's like good luck for us to try to just turn that off one day. Right. Exactly. Like you said, everybody's got like a different trigger, but Mm -hmm. then it's, it, a lot of it comes back to some of these similarities. It's either a safety thing or an inadequacy. Yes. An emotional deprivation, how that carved into like the teenager and, and 20 year old where, you know, you don't, you're not actively aware of it, like we keep saying, but then keep building these layers and certain, certain things you're successful at. And then you, you figure that these compensations have been working. So like you keep going with that and then I'm ignoring the weak spots, that person in the back of the line that you were saying that is normal to be emotionally vulnerable or what we might perceive as weak, especially just in this society too, like crying and how dare you? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, we know that that's not true, but it just comes from generations passing down. We see that in our entertainment and movies and yeah. stuff. Growing up, um, listening to a lot of hip hop, that's part of that culture, too. Certain types of music have their own maybe stigmas and stuff. And especially back even 20 years ago, like shows in Providence, you hear about like, oh, like somebody had a gun in there or getting stabbed. Yeah, right. So then it's just like, oh, this stupid hip hop music. And, you know, that's just a distraction from what the message is. And, you know, without going too much off track, some of the hip hop music is almost like a documentary of some of the poor neighborhoods, New York City and some of these larger areas. That's a good way to say it. I never thought of that, but it is a documentary. Throughout the years, like a certain piece of that was like taken out and, and used as business and selling because it was the same thing as like your action movie where you go to see the shootouts and the car chases right. and bank robberies and shit. So it may be 
some of the, the music started as like, hey, this is just what's going on in the neighborhood. And then the next level was people maybe who weren't necessarily living that lifestyle, but could see the value and the shock value. Mm-hmm. And then characters start coming out of that. And then yeah. and next thing you know, there's no connection between the, the actual expression of your worldview where the character that's just shooting guns and talking about money. You make me think of Tupac when you say that. Did, did you catch any of that documentary? Uh, I've caught, I've, I've watched a few on him and just right. other stuff, and he was so not the gangster. Right. Yeah, but then, like, everybody knows him as, as thug life and yeah. guns tattooed on his yeah. chest or whatever. And I've seen a few documentaries throughout the year for him, too, but that one did a, such a good job of showing, like, he, he went to, what was it, an acting school? Like an art school or something. I forget exactly what it was, but it was a pretty prestigious one, too, yeah. I believe. So, you know, he, he's doing, like, acting and 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 playwriting and stuff mm-hmm. like that as a teenager and then some of his earliest interviews before he's even um doing music like he, he was, was an actor first school. yeah, yeah he, he's super soft-spoken maybe even yes. like a, a little feminine oh yeah he, he's a good representation of somebody in the spotlight who with most aspects of of just a, a complete human mm-hmm. but then the entertainment business just wanted to focus on that piece of him that was throwing up middle fingers in court and he's somebody who had a, a lot to say that I think we, you know, we needed to hear. Yeah. And maybe that's why they turned him into, let's just make him this gangster on the street. Yeah. Because... And that, that's been going on forever. Yeah. That, that even, we've even seen that here with like people like JFK. Right? He wasn't as able to be bought like they yes. wanted him to be. And... But I mean, war pays the bills. Yeah. Let's be honest. This country is about money and power. So. Yeah. So it's not surprising that everyone from JFK to entertainers like Tupac have to get put into a certain box to distract from the message of like, hey, like we should be working together here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a weird thing that we do that. But then I don't know. As as consumers, is that like what we're looking for too? Because like he sold maybe more records after he died. I don't know. It's it seems like we do want a a piece of that. We have a trauma addiction as a society. That, and I think middle-class white people are like, ooh, this is cool. (laughs) I think back in my day when they all came out, it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm not, you know what I mean? We're not skipping down the street in our little jumpers and our pigtails. Like, this is is like the bad boy type of thing. I really think that's originally where a lot of, like, white people would be, like, you know, into it because... It's like, ooh, this is, you know, this is on the edge. Kind that's, of that's probably what got our attention as 10-year-olds, 11, you know, 12. That was all kind of the time where we were getting into that. It was, you know, semi-rebellious, but part of it was just, oh, th- this feels like a movie from a, an area that I have nothing to do with. So, like, getting to peek into these different exactly li- lives mm-hmm. and just ways of being early on, like, it, it connected me in a way where... You know, obviously I'm not living this lifestyle, but something about it, it just felt authentic. And then yeah. it makes me learn that like we have way more in common than we would want to believe. But extracting that again, like the media wants to make it seem like, okay, this is only African-American black culture. In a ghetto, that's yeah, all it is. Right. Yeah. And, and like they're just talking about drugs and guns, but it's because th- this is the after effect of decades of that being cultivated. Did you know Compton, California? Originally, it was like a rich white neighborhood. No. Really? Throughout the 80s up until early 90s, that area, we know even some of the L.A. riots and stuff around then. I've heard even different things, too, like throughout different 
political cabinets. They rezone certain neighborhoods and areas. And then over time, it, that affects like resources that are available. And then long term downstream, like it turns into these blocked off ghettos where yeah. before it was like a, a, a thriving neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's your fault because you're killing yourselves. Right. Well, that's the type of stuff that you hear because you're sitting in your middle class suburban home and trying to judge on something you have no no clue about you right. know frustrates me that's why i don't go on social media except mm -hmm. to look at reels or tiktoks that's it yeah just <laughs> some yeah some quick entertainment on that mm -hmm. stuff and talk about like even uh, i know brandy checks some of that stuff out but you find some comedians with the reels now. Yes. yeah you find comedians that you wouldn't know otherwise mm -hmm. and it's just so many talented people out there they get to oh, share yeah. their stuff mm-hmm and it's funny. It's like, I want to go and laugh. I don't want to go and, and fight with somebody on social yeah. media. I don't want to go and look at somebody that I've known my whole life and be like, you're a racist, bigoted piece of shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to. That's not what I want. That just really drags me down. I used to. Yeah. But I realize that you're not changing anybody's mind yeah. no matter what. And most of the time, they just want to fight with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um a lot of fear and anger and pain we're all going through similar things but i'd say it's probably a common reaction that we want other people to feel with us to be part of a group so whether that's i'm trying to bring you down to this level or you know, I, I just can't imagine you know you, you take time to reach out to somebody to share negativity right and it's just like okay like you're in a bad spot is, is this how we're going to get better? But the people that have that mindset, I truly believe, feel like if I can look at you and say, I'm not as bad as you are, then I validate myself. That's my personal opinion is just like there are Christians that'll be like, that's a sin and you're going to hell because I don't do that. So then I'm good and I'm going to go to heaven. And I think Ignoring it's... Ignoring all of their sins that they do yes. different than yours. Yes. <laughs> that, and I think that's... Part of human nature is like, I don't like me. So if I can look at you and see how much worse you are than me, at least in my opinion, then I can fixate on all your negatives and I don't have to actually mm -hmm. look in the mirror. Yeah, that because that, that can be painful and hard. But right. I don't know what the, some of the stuff that you're sharing now, like it reminds me that, you know, this it's going to be hard, but it can be done. We just have to figure out like what works for us. Right. But it's trying to create that environment where, I can feel comfortable enough not only to ask for help, but to find the thing that works for me so that I can start working through this. Yeah. And I mean, uh, to this day, I mean, I think of a, a good quote my mother says all the time is like, all you kids on in this generation are on medication. Like, what's wrong with you? And I say to her, too, well, I mean, besides the fact that you guys made us this way, but but no, seriously, but their generation was like, mental health is a shame. You don't talk about it. You don't. Mm -hmm do anything like this is where it needs to start it needs to mm -hmm. it needs to be it's still very it's still not widely talked about i talk about all my stuff i tell people i have bad ocd i can barely leave the house if i didn't have him i don't know what i would do i mean i just say it it yeah. is what it is like it's it's who i am yeah over the years i've kind of shifted towards that too like i'll yeah. talk to some of my buddies about this and Sometimes like my buddy Matt, like we've been through so much stuff together, yeah. but sometimes now like I won't see him for a couple of weeks. And then as soon as the opportunity opens, I start talking about like some emotional stuff that I'm going through just to, you know, bounce it off. But because in years past, it'd be like if they don't bring it up, then like nobody necessarily asks. So
everybody's hurting out here. Yes. We're trying to do this together. Yes. Um, so sometimes it's like almost out of context, but I'm just, mm. I'll just start talking about. But he, I listened to one of the podcasts and he was talking about like his own struggles with depression and stuff. Like you don't know what 15 year old boy who's really struggling hears that and says, oh, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. where, that's yeah. where we lack. If people actually, see, I worked in behavioral health for kids for yeah. almost 20 years and you can't really, I couldn't really tell kids specifically but I would let them know, like, you're not the only one. You know, like, I would kind of just say, like, yeah, this sucks, but I, I, it sucked for me, too. And I'm here and I'm 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 OK and you can be OK. You know, and it just that little piece of like, oh, OK, I'm not so bad. I'm not there's not something wrong with me right. that sets me apart from the entire world. It's oh, I mean, everybody struggles in their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, if we did more of that and just said like, yep, I'm crazy. I'm fucked in the head. I right. say that all the time. You know, I think I've said it. I can't even, I, people say it to me all the time. I go, I'm fucking crazy. You don't even want to, I need meds. <laughs> it is what it is. I get up every day. I go to work. I run a household. I do what I need to do, but I'm nuts. And you're working on it. And yes. And even if I wasn't, I still admit I'm nuts. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it just is what it is. We all are. Yeah. Imagine if you just sit on Facebook and just start messaging people about how horrible they are. Yeah. <laughs> And does that like does that make you feel good for the moment? Maybe I don't know. I I don't understand it, but I just mm-hmm. think like take a mirror and just be like, you know what? I just you know I gotta work on this, and I'm sure there's four thousand people out there that have to work on the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And build communities instead of breaking them down. That's what I think. A little over three years ago now, but um, when Amy passed away, like I remember that that first day, maybe that first week, dude, it was just such a not like a shock sure that's like a general thing but it was just couldn't even process what was happening never mind that first day i remember being at work i was working at pc i did some per diem work for them and while i'm while i'm providing medical coverage for these events like i don't necessarily have my phone on me Mm -hmm. so i remember going over to check my bag and then seeing a bunch of missed calls and then getting a message from eric and listening to voicemail and he was the first the first time i heard that day that you know, it's, it's not looking good. We think Amy overdosed or something. And all that stuff starts running through your head of like, okay, she's going to the hospital or something like right. that. And then that that ride home, I remember walking back to the car and stuff of just uh, obviously a million scenarios, like what's going on. And then I remember driving here. Not only was it the longest drive, but I just mm-hmm. like didn't want to get here. But at the same time, pulling down the road and seeing us all sitting in the front yard i can't even imagine what that there were still a couple cop cruisers here and all of that seeing you guys and then i got out of the car and and you walked towards me and and you were like a fucking brick wall like you i I couldn't even hear the words i know i know you tensed up and i was just like i i i know like i just kept saying i'm so sorry but i know but like I i think you said like I'm, I'm sorry, Amy passed I, away. I, I don't know what to, like, yeah. And I was like, come home, I, I come to my house. I didn't want to, yeah. because I was told my dad died when I was at work and I had to drive all the way to the hospital yeah. and I didn't want that for you. Do you know what I mean? But it yeah. was like, though I felt it in your body. You know what I mean? Like I felt, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt it in your body. Like I felt the trauma, the, the trauma of the yeah. situation. And, and probably going back to the mechanisms that I built over the years of, I'm just turning this shit off yeah. right now, but. I don't know. It was several days of just kind of disbelief, like, oh, I'm going to wake up from this or something. Um, But then, you know, I think at that time, um, Eric had taken my mom around the corner or something in in his car. Yeah. 
So like she wasn't there and then when they took her out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I probably had got here shortly after that, but then, you know, Eric came around and it, it was just, I, I didn't even really get to process that stuff until a few months later. I remember um, working on psychedelic therapies and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, you know, totally self-guided. This isn't a recommendation to people out there, but I had dabbled in some of these things before and knew that there was something there for dealing with some of these traumas. So I had done a few different sessions and then I remember specifically it was like early June. So, you know, maybe four months, mm -hmm. three and a half after, after Amy died where um, I had this incredible experience where I like towards the end of the experience, um, I remember like being compelled to sit down and I, I journaled a little bit and wrote about that day yeah. and just physically feeling the, the weight coming off of just being able to put that out there and then just describe some of the stuff that we just talked about because up until then I had told maybe a couple people but it wasn't like circling back to what we were talking about for therapy before incorporating this into a timeline mm -hmm. or something accessible where you can still acknowledge it but like slowly kind of lose the emotional weight that is tied to it so that was the first like major shift yeah but do you remember one of the things you said to me that day one of the first things you said probably not but i do oh uh, no was i too hard on her that was one of the first things you said because and that was you taking that on you sure. but not do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, and I mean, I dealt with waves of that, and I still do now yeah. where, I mean, I see pieces of me as a kid and just being a, a angry kid, whether that's from a divorce or like whatever whatever right. it was back then. It doesn't really matter except that I know that I, I compartmentalize some of my emotional expression and turn that inwards and that like I'm doing something wrong. So yep. there was definitely times where I overtly was just a piece of shit to Amy just because like I didn't know any better and right. that's not an excuse. But at the same time, she was just within proximity of me being able to get out some of stuff that might have been a normal like just young young boy aggression. A lot of it was. Yeah, a lot of it sure, was. Sure, but then there was other parts too. Where, like looking back, like I, I was angry and didn't know why. But so like she was the first one to take that out of. And then what we just said before, I would feel better by making her feel bad yeah. or something. And, yeah. you know, we, we ironed a lot of that out in yeah. our later years. And especially after I left for Roger Williams and went to yeah. school and came back, getting that physical space was one thing. But then um, subsequently after joining the Air Force and all of that, that kind of hit home for everybody that, like, oh, not having somebody around like this yeah. is this is a big deal. And then getting some space and time to feel that yes. like, okay, these people are important to me and this is really what I'm doing all of this for. Like, yeah. I remember, you know, 10 years old, like I can't wait to not have to look at your face every day. Or, yeah. yeah. But then like, th these are the type of things that I'll think about. I didn't have um, an, an older, maybe a, an older teenager, like an older cousin or something that could kind of like coach me along. Like, hey dude, take a break, dude. Yeah. This, this isn't as serious as you're making it. I remember having decent friend groups, especially yeah. like middle school, even elementary school, where I felt like I fit in. Yeah. You know, I was never like an outcast and picked on. And I mean, your parents are, to me, the best set of parents I've seen of divorce who did. And I'm not saying they were perfect because they weren't, but I'm just saying. But divorce is traumatic. Sure. Yeah. And so how do you know that it wasn't even just that whole thing? You know what I mean? Because yeah. they were... They were good about, you know, 
sharing custody. And then it, it, I mean, to this point now where they go to fucking concerts together, you know what I mean? Like who does that? So I think I always said like they did it the best that I've ever seen done, but that doesn't mean for you. And I'm sorry, but your grandparents were fucking crazy. Of course. So we know this stuff is generational. That's what I mean. But I'm saying like, think about the time that they were like, and you guys were young or maybe the twins were young. You'll know. They got they were playing cards or something and George got pissed off and he jumped up and he's like screaming at Steve and then he's like, I'm gonna sue you and take your house like in front of the kid. I'm just saying, you gotta remember all of this or just the uncertainty of Nana. Like she when I lived there, she would like come over, you know, clean the house and then, oh, what a horrible daughter you are. And like you guys heard that stuff. Well, one time I think I was I was like nineteen and I took good care of you guys. Like even I had friends over. And they would drink and I'd be like, I can't, I'm babysitting. Like I was responsible. And one time I think it was when she first met Steve, she stayed out, but I was home and I was going to be home and Nana called and she was screaming on the phone and like, you know, your poor mother. But I'm just saying like, that's the type of stuff that your, your mom had to put up, but you guys had to witness that stuff too. You know, there's a lot of that, like with my, my my nana specifically like yes. i never saw that part because to me you know it was the traditional just like oh you're the sweetest grandchild yeah. and doing all, all she can for us as kids but yeah. then you know i'd get these stories throughout the year of, of mom and she did a great job of not saying like hey she's actually a nutcase yeah. like she she never said anything like that no. and then later like you know when i a little bit older and can understand some of that stuff she started kind of explaining it and then i get to see a lot of it firsthand when Shit, man, it was around the same time when right, right after Amy died, there was the same thing like COVID like started here in America. It was literally like, like the next month. Yeah, it was like two died. weeks later. Like yeah. we were already talking about um, getting the, the funeral memorial service yeah. in on a certain date yeah. because like then people weren't allowed to that type of thing. Yep. So I remember um, I went over to my grandparents that day that Amy died so I could tell them myself and I had found out that they already got a phone call or something so it was it was maybe like a couple weeks later my my nana fell in at home and yes. I, I think she wound up fracturing her hip. It was that quickly after? It was like it was that month of March wow. yeah. because then you know she was in the hospital had whatever she you know whatever procedure she's recovering from that and then a lot of maybe psychological issues were coming out so she got transferred to a different place and then essentially like an assisted living or like um what's the next level after that because yeah the nursing home because she was incapacitated and your grandfather followed her not too far exactly yeah but but even it was i don't know within that first week like he i don't know if he hurt himself too but he, he started just kind of losing his shit. So, you know, got yeah, got admitted to two different places. And then when we were finally allowed to go visit them, I remember Nana being in such a, you know, emotionally kind of scattered place mm. that I could see these slices of what my mom was talking about. Yeah. Like she was going back to Nana old at school. 40 years old, yeah. 30 years old. And just I remember one time I didn't go with mom and mom came home shook crying like it was rough because like it sent her back to being 10 years old or whatever and you know I can understand some of that that Nana was essentially deal like dealing with death is right around the corner Mm -hmm. so imagine the emotional stress that's coming on and when we talk about our personality kind of being shattered that kind of like 
maybe just generally mean person that was passed down to her from right. generations before came out as a way of like the last bit of control of the world exactly here's here's my daughter i'm looking at her like she's 10 years old again yeah. so i mean I, I remember after that dude like i mean that shook all of us just mm. like mom being in this state anyway and she dealing with, with yeah. amy and then her mom yep. then her stepdad, stepdad all in you know six months yeah that was now i guess i didn't re- i guess i was still kind of through it all and didn't realize it was that close together but yeah you're right yeah it was crazy man so I, don't know, I want to swing back to that little psychedelic experience I had because I wound up getting a hold of some some psilocybin mushrooms and I did a smaller dose. I felt like I made some good progress. I was able to at least talk about stuff in a different way. But then I had a, a heavier dose and I remember feeling a similar sensation of what we're talking about with different parts of your personality and characteristics kind of like splitting out. This The state that you can get into with some of these things, it's just like a rapid fire version of therapy. Mm. These are being done now in more clinical, controlled, therapeutic settings. But I remember feeling all of these different parts of me. And I use a lot of music at the time. One of my favorite bands is Tool. And they have a lot of general, like, philosophical and even existential type of themes to some of their stuff. So I remember listening to some of their music. And under the influence of some of these substances, the way the the music and vocals all combine, like, you can kind of feel things in a different way that you wouldn't be able to in a normal state. So I remember feeling like I could see like snapshots of different parts of my childhood. And I remember seeing this image of me as a kid kind of walking away, holding Amy's hand, like super young. And it was just like a a symbol of that, uh, how I interpret it now of, you know, we we were always a pair in, in, in that same thing, but that there was a piece of me that was finally kind of (laughs) walking her home, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, just, you know, being under the influence of all that stuff, it was just insane at the time, but it really felt like I time traveled in a sense. You said about talking to your younger self. Yeah. That was something I actively did in the weeks after that, like a light little journaling, but then even just sitting down and trying to meditate and really just, kind of call that younger version and say look dude like you didn't know any better and then coming in as the adult and saying like it's okay and i remember one time and i hope you told that kid none of that was your fault yeah that's all part of it is that like you you kind of did what you had to do and that you didn't know any other options this wasn't something that you were doing to intentionally you know damage amy or yourself and amy hid a lot from all of us sure we all did no but i mean she really hid a lot from all of us And, and you can't do anything when you don't know. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, we all kind of see in different parts of her, too. I, right. I, there was definitely, pe- like, I've knew pieces of her that nobody else did. I right. know Brandy has a good relationship right. with Amy and a lot of stuff that we didn't know. And same for you, too. Yeah. We're all dealing with pain, but we, we talk about Amy every single day. Right. It doesn't have to be Try a specific out. day. Oh, or Yeah. She, she, she's merged <laughs> with me. So, like, back to, like, the, the psychedelic experience. Like, this was the part where... I remember feeling just different, almost like magnetic waves and stuff. And I I was essentially not like shedding skin, but kind of stepping out into this new thing. And I had to, I had this urge to physically, vocally say out loud, I'm here now. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping up into this new role of not only like 
being the person for myself that I wasn't able to be at the time or, you know, whatever caretaker I needed, but also the beginning stages of like Amy, Amy's memory merging with me so that um, it's not necessarily like we talked about, like the slight separation of the emotional aspect of it where I can still honor and remember her and and laugh about it. And sure, sometimes like music comes on that we shared and I'll start crying or something, but it doesn't last as long as it did. And um, sometimes now I feel like I'm a little bit more able to voluntarily be emotional with it. Like if I feel like crying, but that doesn't say that I'm like blocking this or like turning it off because it's just it feels good to be able to have some of these memories without being devastated and wrecked every single time every time because yes. that's exhausting for our own bodies dude. It is. The, just that reaction and do you will and do like first of all the the 32 years or 33 years of memories of her like is that what she's reduced to is that one day no you know what i mean like those all of the i talk about us doing laser tag in the streets yeah. running up and down you know stuff like that we used to have fires at our mother's house and we'd get the laser the twins laser tag stuff on our heads and we'd run down the sides of the streets and cars would come by and we'd like shoot each other and roll on the floor and the people would like put their brakes on and be like yeah we were stupid (laughs) but that's the kind of stuff like that's who she was you know what i mean or us just sitting at the fire and making fun of everybody around the just that type of stuff or you know sometimes something will happen and i I, you know a song comes on or something and i'll just be like oh hi like I wish I could call you and tell you this type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's crying. Doesn't, I probably don't have a right to say any of this since I'm a robot, but <laughs> crying doesn't measure how much you care or how, Absolutely. you know what I mean? And do you think she wants you sad or do you think she wants to poke you in the ribs and be like, Oh, remember this time? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Dude. And that's, that's a perfect way to put it earlier on too. I'm, I'm struggling with that whole thing of, you know, everybody's got their own version of what that should be. But ultimately I wanted. I'm figuring out how to use this as power. Part of me is like, I'm going to try to seize life because Amy can't also too, to try to redeem that part of myself that didn't, you know, really take advantage of the opportunity and like the blessing that it was to, to have a younger sister, because especially like going away and working in the air force for a bit, I get to work with people from all over the country, different backgrounds and then working with people are either only children or just didn't have a lot of the social experiences that we were able to have as kids. So then you're like, holy shit, like this made me more a well-rounded person because Mm -hmm. I was able to sharpen my sense of humor with Amy and, you know, have these experiences as kids where, you know, you don't realize like what a blessing that is until you get some space away from it. Exactly. And you probably have, you probably fixate because she passed away on a lot of the negative stuff. But I mean, we could sit and talk for hours about all the fun we had. You know what I mean? That that's the thing. There was, it's in our mind to be like, what did I? What, how did I? How did I contribute to this? Right. You know what I mean? Instead of being like all of these positive things, all of yeah. these memories, all of these stupid jokes we had, and do you remember tuck and roll? Like that's the type of stuff that you know what I mean? Like it was all all of us laughing, all of us having a good time. I mean, there was a lot of those things. Yeah, yeah. I used to tell them I wasn't gonna stop the car there to tuck and roll. I'd just open the door, <laughs> like things like that. Or do you remember stupid Americans? <laughs> just stupid stuff. Like it was that's what I mean. There was so much of that that deserves to be remembered or to be honored right man and and again like she 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 was able to express a version of her with with you that yes. like she she couldn't let in on yes. other people so you know that that was a beautiful part of that but then even like for her and i as, as adults especially 
like right before I left for the Air Force, but even during that time where I come back for leave, and then mm-hmm. when I separated too, we hung out a decent amount of time. We went to so many concerts yeah. and, and shows before where she was like the most reliable concert buddy I'd yeah. ever had. Well, that's like I said too, like what are the chances that she came to live here? And I said to your, to your mom, I was like, I'm so grateful that she was here because we were so close for so long. Yeah. Like when you guys were kids, we were really close. And then even I think when you were out of the house and she would still be around, you know, we when she was like early 20s and stuff, we had it and then it just kind of drifted because it does you know what i mean and so like she would have gone and i would have they would have been so much i would have missed so i you know i said i was like i am so grateful that she was here because even though you know we didn't do much it was just having her there just the stupid little jokes because we always had those inside jokes and it was just that connection back that had been you know what i mean just kind of life gets in the way so i was really grateful that things worked out yeah and then again just like trying to figure out how to put this all into like our stories now especially earlier on you you know you're in such a painful hurt place that you feel like lashing out you do yeah just kind of telling the world like this is unfair i lashed out at her friends that day when my dad died i was waiting to in the hospital to go they he was on the slab i didn't know this i was waiting in the hospital for my sisters to show up and they were going to bring us down and people were walking by and I was like in my head, like, what the fuck is she looking at? Like yeah. that, w- yeah. that's the anger. It's oh, just, sure. you don't put it in the right place necessarily, but yeah, you're angry. Of course you are. Right. You know, I've seen even just like micro versions of that throughout the years where examples I can think of is when I was going to school in San Diego, like there's certain days where I'm just super stressed and overloaded with the coursework and the clinical rotations and being away from friends and family mm-hmm. where I remember like walking around this campus, which is one of the most beautiful campuses I've ever been on. And, you know, it's a beautiful part of the country, but like doing that same similar thing, maybe not as like overtly, but just kind of like, like, look at this person over here. Like, you know, and and it's over something dumb. But that's because like I was behind on schoolwork or I wasn't addressing the things that I needed. So, you know, we do that same thing of like, I'm going to compartmentalize that because it's, I, I recognize that this is something I need to work on, but it's a lot easier to just be mad at that person. Yeah, absolutely. But then over time, we're compounding that to the point where you're essentially shaping a different personality. Exactly. To who you truly are. Exactly. One of my favorite lecturers, podcasters, authors is this mm-hmm. dude, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who talks a lot about, he's a, he's a clinical psychologist and professor at a, out of a university in Toronto, I think, but over the years has gotten a lot more prominence and and, um, recognition, but he talks a lot about this type of stuff. Some of his experiences in in clinical settings, hearing these, these professionals and people with, you know, decades of experience describe this stuff, you realize that we all share similar parts of this. Essentially by like not telling the truth and not holding up to your own standards and stuff like eventually don't even have a place to measure right or wrong from so that molded reality who you truly are never have this solid foundation because like everything has been about either avoiding the thing that's uncomfortable now Mm -hmm. to you know get by but then over time haven't developed those skills to get around that thing so then the next one comes up and then we just start doing these patterns but then over time like this isn't my authentic self. And then you don't, your self-talk doesn't even reflect who you really are. I mean, going back to the day she died, or the, you know, right after she died, I said to Rob, I was like, I'm not, I am consciously not eating 
because I'm not crying. I did a little tear up there, but really nothing. And, you know, you guys were very close to me. I felt like I grew up with you guys for many years. And so I was like, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to, it's going to come. And it never came. And then I said to myself, that's when I was like, wow, I'm fucked up. Like that was what really made me realize this is way worse than I realized. You said it, it never came like the, the emotional the, breakdown. Yes, or never. And I was like, if I don't eat, then I'm going to break down because I'm not using that to, and it just never came. And then I was like, and I know my feelings for her. And that's when I said, there's something really wrong, yeah. you know? I mean, even even that day that uh, that Amy died, we all, my mom, Amy, myself, a couple friends had tickets for a Pink, Flo- Pink Floyd tribute band. And obviously that was canceled. But then I, I had this in the back of my mind, like I kind of still wanted to go out of a tribute to Amy type yeah. thing. But also I recognize now obviously it was just to kind of distract and d- delay of, of like dealing with reality. But well, are you going to sit home and think about it or can you right. go enjoy a show and not think about I it? I couldn't right? do it. And I could say now that, that I, was something that she loved. Yeah, exactly. So it was a combination of that. But I, looking back at it now, like I 100 percent didn't have the capacity to sit and deal with this yeah. and never mind communicate it was just it was something that like just felt like i should do i brought my buddy matt with me my my friend tina wound up going and i remember both of them matt took the extra ticket tina was going to go with us anyway mom sat it out but then looking back at it now like there was definitely an air from both yes. of of my yeah. friends like you sure you want to do this dude and i was you know kind of just like let's go and they were both supportive like let's do it and i remember definitely breaking down during the show and part of it was just because this is emotional music to us anyway that like our family grew up with but then just (laughs) it comes in waves that's what i that's what i always say it comes in waves yeah so like that day i did get to cry a little bit but it was like i don't know there's something about just like the music there i felt like this is a safe spot i have like two of my best friends here like i'm gonna cocooned yeah by two safety. people who love yeah. you yeah. And, yeah and it was just you know one of the most beautiful concerts ever but just because i needed to kind of keep it moving mm. i remember too like i was the year before i had just started a graduate program so mm-hmm. i'm in my like beginning the third semester with this stuff too and that tuesday i went to class and i remember monday sending a message to my um, department head and my professor look i had a death in the family of I want to come talk to chat in the office just to touch base. But I, like, I wanted to go to class to distract myself and kind of keep going. You know what that is, right? That's putting that piece way in the back of the line. Because two or three days after my father died, I think it was, I was back at work. I, I went back to work. Like I was only working part-time at CCRI mm-hmm. at the time. And it wasn't like a super demanding thing, but I just needed a place to go to and go through that routine. And yep. It wasn't super busy, but I remember it was probably like five days later. I was mm-hmm. going back to back to work, and again, it was only a four-hour shift, but it was just still something to do and can busy myself. But that began the the process of trying to deal with some of this yeah. and realizing too, like, okay, these are the automatic coping mechanisms. Yeah. Which one of these are actually healthy? And right, you know, because the distraction is is valuable, but like, you know, I took a few days out of work, but when I went back, I had a hard time it was like embarrassing i'm like just yeah. like crying walking down the hallway like someone would look at me and say like good morning how are you today and then i would cry yeah. like like you said waves but there was times where um cutting myself off from connections the mm-hmm. things that you need and turned away from that i'm, I'm almost <laughs> like punishing that part of myself like yes. i'm gonna make this worse and because if you had those connections you're more likely to break down yeah 
Yeah. And you're the that piece of you that wants to make sure that it doesn't happen is going to push all of that away. Yeah. And I feel that because I, I that's me. And and we all still do this, but like we feel like we don't want to be a burden on other people, mm -hmm. even though when they reflect that to us, you're just like almost offended. Like why wouldn't you come to me? That, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm here, here for. Yeah. That's exactly what it's for. But you know, in in the the emotional kind of scatteredness that comes with that, you you just you don't look at things logically. Right. I was ignoring everything. Right, I just right. there, there was even a, a few days like I wasn't even coming out of my room. Just I felt like I couldn't even look at mom or Eric yeah. and this stuff just because of like looking them in the eyes. I'm just uh, I, you just feel that thing and I didn't know how to be there for them for this. Like nobody dealt with this particular thing before, so it was right. just like I don't know what my identity is here. Yeah. So I'm gonna go in this cave and hopefully it goes. Avoid away. it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I, you know, I never actively said that like i hope this goes away but that was just the default of yes. the emotional yes. deprivation right yes. i'm gonna exactly. turn this off for myself and then make sure hopefully they all turn theirs off too and we can just <laughs> pretend it didn't happen kind of thing not yeah. uh, obviously not consciously but subconsciously no, but yes that and like you said that's probably one of the worst things that's ever happened and so you take all your and don't take this offensively but your dysfunctional coping skills and you go, okay, how do I mm -hmm. use these to not do this either, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so like you said, you're, bu you're building that brick wall in front of you or you're, yeah. br like I say it, like a big shield that's the size of me, you yeah. know? After that experience too, for a couple of weeks, like I was, I got in a good habit of just trying to meditate a little bit every day and mm -hmm. maybe mixing in some journal stuff. I was, I started actively looking at for for new jobs it was everything like worked out how it was supposed to be but it was obviously extra difficult to think about like career goals and objectives while you're dealing with all this but yeah. then it's just like what's the alternative i just stay here, here in, and... in the state of misery and then not you know challenge myself and meet the aspirations of the career that i'm looking for but not only that what would you do if you sat there i think like this is what i always think and i think we're similar in a lot of ways if I just don't do something, am I going to go hang myself or am I going to go in bed and never get out again? Like, it's like there's, what's the alternative? Like, what am I going to do? Just sit with my thoughts? No, I'm not doing that, you know? Yeah, I, I, um, I use that term pretty regularly when talking about this stuff. Like, well, what's the alternative? Because the path forward, whatever it is, seems extremely difficult, maybe painful or unattainable. But then I have to think about what's the what's the alternative? What's the options right. here? And that's either inaction or, you know, wh whatever it is. But the alternative is usually worse or at least maintaining this state that I'm in now. You're going to pass through this terrible time and then you're going to come out on the other side. You'll never be the same, but you're going to get through it. If you decide to stop here and just, if you decide to stay in this spot and never pass through that, you're never getting past that, you know? So it's, that's the alternative really, is sitting in the place where it's never dealt with. And then you're doing whatever you have to do. Anytime something comes up, a song comes up, somebody says their name, whatever, you're doing what are you, whatever you have to do to not deal with it. You can't live your life like that. Oh, yeah. I remember wanting to quit the graduate program and yeah. just almost, again, to like punish myself. All of this work that yeah. I'm doing, fuck all that. None of yes. that matters. But then it's just, well, then what? Like, yeah. So I'm right. still going to have this pain, but now I'm going to have nothing. fail out of school. Right. And, you know, and I'm, Amy will be disappointed. Yes. <laughs> right. So you know, trying to figure out how to use that as fuel and power. Little meditation session and thinking about 
Amy in the sense of I finally let her spirit merge with what I was calling God. Mm-hmm. I think I think I was able to flesh this out. Before that time, it was almost just like you, you, I kept Amy's memory in this little separate box or something. And then I figured out a way to kind of incorporate that into merging that with doing things because uh, a good work ethic and this is just the right thing to do and that those are the same thing yeah and that's all just towards the good yeah so it's all just for that so I, I kind of was able to reimagine that word of merging with God I'm not doing this for Amy but I'm doing this for everything that that's good and I know yeah. it's like very vague but it was in in my mind it would click where it was just more unity rather than yeah. like having this other thing that's always there for me like use as a, a reason or fuel for certain things so i don't know that was super beneficial and i mean she brought you guys together too think about it and I, we talked about this all the fucking time part of my mechanisms of that throughout my teens and 20s was leaning into maybe academics or the military and all these things work you know yeah. developing that and then not getting better at emotional vulnerability yeah. and emotional intelligence because reading and learning about psychology right this stuff is super interesting yeah and then trying to extract some of that to oh these are some of my patterns but then maybe just it's staying at that level like i am talk aware. therapy would be yeah. now what's the action and the right. only action is to be in social and emotional settings and be right. vulnerable randy's helping me work through a lot of this stuff well, and not only that, but you don't get all the baggage that a lot of people come with, too. I mean, the, the relationship baggage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we got... <laughs> we got bags. Yeah. yeah we're, check, we're checking bags. There's a whole nother plane. <laughs> There's a cargo ship coming, dog. <laughs> but you need... I feel like you need to find the person that is... that ha- You can't have somebody... You need to have somebody that equally has the baggage. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? we're both on a spot where we're working on it. And then, yes. You know, we, we both go back into certain patterns and stuff, but yep. we're also realizing like, oh, these aren't things that I necessarily chose or that are healthy and beneficial. Right. These are just old patterns of defense. And I, I feel like, you know, we go through certain arguments or struggles and it's, we, we come out feeling like I come out feeling like relieved. Part of my frustration was dealing with a certain part of my identity that I hadn't explored before. So I'm feeling kind of lost at sea. Right. And then I go back to these things of, trying to push people away right. or you know wh- whatever story i'm telling myself i could see that i'm not being the support or the, the listening portion that is required of the relationship right. so you know it's awesome seeing that but then circling back around i remember amy being super excited to introduce me to brandy and it was back when i was still in the air force when we were younger like teens um, amy had like a few just kind of loose friends that would try to say hey what's up with your brother type thing and i think that kind of turned her off to a lot of that stuff so like later in her life she was almost like hey i finally i have one for you type type of thing (laughs) there's a lot of stories that i want to share and even just for uh some of our our family and friends that are listening to this because they everybody has their own kind of version of amy's relationship was and there's only going to be so much that i'll be able to be actually verbalized you know what would be really cool get us all together like mom Haley, eric um brandy me you and just talk about amy yeah that'd be awesome yeah alana because yeah same thing alana's got her own unique relationship with Mm -hmm. amy especially when we were younger be right there to pick it up yep and it's so funny like meeting you know dave and alana's kids now because i remember amy being like 
oh my gosh, I gotta go to my sister's house and see my new niece. Yes, and I remember. she would send me pictures of her. It was just so cute because she was so in love and excited. I do remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and along the way, it's our job to remind them of who Auntie Amy mm -hmm. is and was, you know, and just being able to say that, like Auntie Amy, you know, yeah. that that's a, a cool thing. And talking about Alana too, like she she's done a lot of expression about like how she's turned some of this stuff into artistic expression too. And I know... um you know, you reached out to her about like Reiki energy and, and healing and stuff like that too. I'd be really cool if that's something you're able to follow through with because I'd like to get just some of your perceptions and mm. experiences of that too. Um, I was working with Alana with this stuff early on. I, I love hearing like a new perception of it too, yeah. especially where something where you've done some of these other therapeutic modalities and self-work too. And I think this will only be a good addition to the toolbox. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, physically... I mean, we are energy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is my, is there an issue with my energy? I think there is. I think it's emotional. Mm -hmm. I've said that. So yeah. would that be, I'm not, do I think I'm going to be cured? No. But would that be the beginning of something redirecting it mm -hmm. or, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's a way to look at it. Like right. there, there's this, nobody's ever claiming this is a one-time deal and right. this is going to turn it all off. <laughs> yeah. Even like the, there's been some literature and scientific studies with this where they, they, they use Reiki along with like traditional treatments, mm -hmm. whether that's pharmaceutical or other. Most of the research says that it, it works better in conjunction with these things. Yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily work better than a placebo, but also in that book, the body keeps the score. And then in this other book called Cure, mm -hmm. it talks a lot about placebo specifically. And then it's just figuring out a way to tap into our body's own natural way of healing itself. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's available, but... We just either have these psychological kind of blockages or, you know, sometimes physiological stuff that prevents that process from occurring, but it, it, it can happen. So exactly. it's not to say that this is going to work for you instantly, um, but along with all the other things you're doing, and if we're open-minded, exactly. that's exactly what it is. So, I mean, I think that's such a beautiful thing. The original healing thing, like mm -hmm. we, we've been doing this forever, just reading each other's magnetic fields. There's uh, so much to that. They say your body is always striving for homeostasis, so it does what it needs to do. I mean, it just makes sense to me, you know? Even again, if we're kind of constructing our own stories, but if it makes you feel like you're putting some of your stuff in a more orderly, yeah. manageable thing, mm -hmm. that's what we're seeking. They're all loosely based on many different, maybe character traits or right. just general pieces. So it's just like, how, how am I going to take that and incorporate it into the next step here? Exactly. Cool. So I don't know. I think it's a good place to kind of wrap it up here. This has been pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I could definitely <laughs> do that. I think we could do this monthly. Yeah. We, I, we've always, I mean, not always, but for a long time, we, yeah. this is what we do. Yeah. It's, it's something for, for us as individuals to reflect on, but also to try to and share some of the stuff. that whole Amy thing. I mean, like we've never really had that conversation. Yeah. And that felt great. Yeah. yeah it out did. there. Yeah, because there's, there's definitely, like I said, I want to do a more specific one for Amy, but that kind of just opened the door. And exactly. I've, I've touched on this stuff here and there. Right. It's, part of me feels like it's not necessarily something that should be like recorded and published. But then the other part of me is just like, that's exactly what should happen. Yeah. And you don't know who needs to hear whatever is well, going to be said. No matter how long like you and I go without talking to, like, we fall back into it instantly. And exactly. Again, like for we talked about like in San Diego, like just having having these conversations was paramount to to me being able to keep that connection to exactly yeah to home and and then and yeah. that piece of me as a kid too because like you were there as we grew up so right. it's kind of like that 
familiarity right. and then also like we see each other as adults and yeah you know rather than keeping that maybe aunt nephew right kind of gets in the way of some of that stuff well thanks again for being gracious yeah, with your time thanks for inviting me on. and we'll um, cool. yeah we'll set this up again thanks for listening to this episode of dan's den don't forget to follow and turn on notifications so you don't miss our latest releases if you enjoyed this conversation please share it also check out our other episodes and thanks again for listening we'll see you next time 